You know, each year as we begin our movement toward Christmas, uh, toward that celebration of Jesus' birth into the world, our Savior, we uh, begin about four Sundays out to light an Advent candle. And each of these candles represents the hope that we have in Christ and that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And this morning, uh, we've asked our first Advent candle and reading uh, if Lisa and Kristen would come and lead us in our Advent candle celebration this morning. On this, first, on this first day of Advent, we celebrate the hope found in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was born into our world to redeem us from our sins, our wounds, and our hopelessness. For this reason, we worship Jesus as our Savior. We now light this first Advent candle to celebrate the hope found through faith in Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lisa and Kristen. God bless you guys. Well, yeah, uh, Christmas has come up on us quick this year, hasn't it? <laughs> I don't think I can remember a year that has gone by as quickly as 2017. But it's always, always a joyful time when we, uh, when we get ready to come, when we get into the Christmas season. Excuse me one second while I get wired up here. <laughs> All right. So today, four weeks before Christmas, and we launch what we call here at Calvary Church, we call Advent Conspiracy. Now, the word Advent is a Latin word that means come. It refers to the coming of Jesus into the world. Now, the conspiracy part of that, maybe that does, that's hard to figure out. Well, what we mean by that, it's our attempt to conspire, to plan together in the middle of all the shopping and all the spending for gifts, which sometimes in our culture can get way out of hand, can it? I mean, Black Friday, <laughs> tramp, people trampled, you know, uh, I, don't know if that, I don't think that's an exaggeration. Some of you are out there, right? Uh, now, we all, we're all about believing in the value of giving gifts, and I think that's a wonderful Christmas tradition certainly is, gifts to our family and friends, but sometimes it can just get way, way out of hand and we lose the meaning of Christmas. Well, the conspiracy is all about keeping the meaning in Christmas, and the way we do that is we go into Christmas trying to, as a church family, set aside and then pool our resources in order to make a significant difference in serving the needs of other people. And I'm going to share with you, toward the end of this message this morning, uh, some specific needs that have come to our attention that I believe, as a church family, we can really, we can really reach out and make a difference in, in these needs. The strategy of Advent Conspiracy, it's really four things. It begins with spending less so that we can give more in order to love all and then to worship fully, because we have kept Jesus at the center of it all. This theme, this year, our specific theme for Advent Conspiracy is the gift of hope. 
And you know, the very first example we have of how this Advent strategy gave the gift of hope is from the story of the wise men who came to worship Jesus. And Matthew, one of the biographers of Jesus, in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, this is what Matthew says. He says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. That was about B.C. 4. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now, these wise men, they were Persian, and today we would call them Iranian astronomers. They were the scientists of the day who had also received the Hebrew scriptures when the people of Israel had been carried captive into, the, into Babylon 600 years before. So they were students of the scriptures as well as students of nature and students of the heavens. They studied the stars. Uh, and in their study of the scriptures and all the prophets, they read this particular prophecy given in the book of Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17. And this was written about 1400 B.C. by Moses. And this is what this short prophecy says. A star will rise from Jacob. Jacob was the forefather of the Hebrew people, the people of Israel. So a star will rise from Jacob. A scepter or a king will emerge from Israel. And so they connected the dots about who this promised one in the Old Testament, this Messiah. They connected all the dots of all the prophecies. And they got really excited. In fact, they got so excited about the birth of this one that the, the scriptures called the Savior of the world, the King of the world, the Redeemer. So excited that they were willing to ride 500 miles on camels to come and worship this newborn king. Jill and I just traveled 500 miles uh, this past week. We drove to Titusville, Pennsylvania, 500 miles from Chicago to Titusville uh, to be with her dad for Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, I can't imagine Jill and I getting on two camels <laughs> and making that trip from here to Pennsylvania. So we drove a Ford Focus, and it had heat when we needed it and air conditioning when we needed it. And about every 40 miles along the road, uh, there's a Starbucks. So, <laughs> you know, the, 500 miles today, nothing. But 500 miles riding on a camel? But when these guys connected the dots about who Jesus really is, this was nothing for them. They got on a camel, rode 500 miles so they could worship him. Worship meant a lot to them. And, you know, I think there's a lesson here for us. How much does worshiping Jesus Christ mean to us? Well, you know what? I think when you and I connect the dots about who Jesus Christ really is, he's not just some dead religious figure. He's not just some other religious teacher that happened to be among the other religious teachers of history. But Jesus Christ, the wise men understood, he is the king. He is the coming savior. He is the redeemer. He is God become man to redeem this messed up, broken, crazy world that we live in. That is something to be excited about. That's something to worship about. That's why we're here this morning. But you know, before they set out on their trip, 
they sat down together and they discussed and agreed that their worship would be incomplete. Their trip to worship him would be incomplete without giving. And they understood that genuine worship and giving always go together. You don't have one, really, without the other. And so they carefully thought about what they could give to this newborn king in their worship. And they came up with three gifts that have become pretty well known among us. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'll say a little bit more about those gifts in just a minute. But you know what? They didn't realize just how important those gifts would be even in a practical way as well as a spiritual way. Let me fill you in a little bit more on the story. Um, In their search, the wise men came to King Herod in Jerusalem, and they asked him this question, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Now, Herod did not let on to them, but that question threatened him like crazy. He was the king of the Jews. And Herod, it's written in history, Herod was a paranoid king. Uh, He had a secret police force, and their whole duty was to seek out people that were a threat to his power and eliminate them. And Herod had already murdered his wife and had two of his sons murdered because they were threats to his power. So when they walked in and said, where is the newborn king of the Jews? His wheels were turning inside. So what he did was he called the scholars together and they said, well, where, where do the scriptures say the newborn king is supposed to be born? And they came and said, well, in Bethlehem. And so the wise men head out. And this is what it says in verses, Matthew chapter 2, verses 9, 9 and 10. After this interview with Herod, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child. Incidentally, Jesus, by this time, was probably one or two years old. He was a toddler. So this didn't take place at the manger. It says they walked into the house and saw the child. And uh, with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, that was a moment of great celebration. But this moment of great celebration was quickly turning into a desperate situation. Go back to Herod for just a minute. Herod was jealous. He was was crazy over this threat uh, of a newborn king. And so what Herod did, as soon as the wise men left, he put out an order to his soldiers to go to the vicinity of Bethlehem and kill every baby boy they could find two years old and younger, which they did. Verses 13 and 14, God came to Joseph and said this was about to happen. This is what we read. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. So, overnight, the holy family, 
Joseph, Mary, Jesus. They had to flee their home with nothing but the clothes on their backs. No job, no house, no support system, no food. And you can imagine Mary saying to Joseph, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed our son? Where are we going to live? How are we going to survive? Where are you going to work? You can even imagine them questioning God and saying, God, what, how does this fit into all your promises? You promised us that this was the Messiah, the, the, born, the baby born to become the, the Savior, the King of the world, the Messiah. Look what's happened here. Where are you, God? What's going on? Things in our world and even things in the world of Joseph and Mary and Jesus, the Holy Family, didn't always make sense. Sometimes catastrophes fell, and they fell even upon the Holy Family and caused them sort of be, to become refugees. Do you ever think of Jesus as a refugee? He was. This is a part of the Christmas story that doesn't get a lot of focus. Now, the, what I'm about to say to you, the scriptures don't tell us, but I think it would be a reasonable assumption that it was the wise men's carefully planned, sacrificial, generous gift that became the resource for Jesus, Joseph, Mary in Egypt. It stands to reason. The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, those were very, very expensive and valuable gifts. And maybe it was a portion of those gifts that sustained them during this refugee time. And if that's true, then the wise men are the very first example to us of what we're calling Advent conspiracy. Because they weren't caught up in material things. They, they gave sacrificial gifts. And they set aside uh, gifts so that they can make a big difference in serving the urgent needs of the first Christmas family. So their giving perhaps provided Jesus with his clothes, his food, his shelter during those years in Egypt. You know, and that the Christmas story uh, of Jesus' birth turns into the story of a crisis and of life's unexpected blows. That shouldn't surprise us. Because Jesus came into this world to identify with us at all levels of our suffering and our sorrows and the times when life collapses around us. That's why Jesus came into the world, to identify with us. And you know, one other fact in this story really drives that point home. Because the Holy Family fled to Egypt, which was the place of Israel's horrible slavery and abuse centuries before. And for the Jewish people, down through all of those centuries, the memories of all that happened to them as a people in the land of Egypt, it, Egypt represented to the people of Israel unbearable pain. It represented what we would call wit's end. It represented poverty, sorrow, grief, loss. And yet, that Jesus went there to the, to the point that they identified as the worst possible place of suffering in the memory of these people. That's where Jesus went when he was less than two years old. That shows us, again, why Jesus came into this world. He didn't come 
to live in palaces. He didn't come to live out in the nice, neat suburbs, I guess you would say. He didn't come to live in a fancy house. He came to go where there was pain. He came to, to, to identify with humanity where the rubber meets the road, where there's sorrow and pain. Centuries before, when they were in Egypt, God sent Moses to save them, to deliver them. But now in the Christmas story, it's God himself, Emmanuel, we just sang about it. It's God himself who stepped into our world to save us. You know, Jesus, after he got into his ministry, uh, he made a tremendous statement that, that sort of helps us see this point even more about how closely he identifies with people in their sufferings and their sorrows. In Matthew chapter 25, this is a very interesting passage of scripture. And let me give you the background of it. Jesus, when he, about when he says this, he's looking forward to that gathering someday at the end of history over which he presides when all of our hearts and our actions are going to be judged. And this is what he says. Then the king, that is Jesus, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, in, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, Jesus, will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And I don't know what the first time I ever read that passage of Scripture. I'm sure it was way back when I was a kid. But this is one passage of Scripture that even as a kid caught my attention because it raises a great question. Uh, and Jesus gives a wonderful answer. And the answer basically is this, that every person we meet, every person we meet in their need, and we reach out to that person, we're reaching out directly to Jesus because Jesus, that's how closely Jesus identifies with humanity. And who is there in the human family that doesn't have need? I've never met anyone yet. Uh, before the service today, I talked with two or three people are part of our own church family. That believe me when I tell you, they are walking through very, very, very difficult needs. They have loved ones that they're walking with through those very, very difficult needs. Those are tests of faith. Those are challenges. Uh, So needs are right here in this room. I know that. Some extenuating circumstances are right here in this room. 
I understand that. So I'm not just up here trying to preach some kind of a fancy sermon today that is just a bunch of words. I know, so I want, you to, I want it to be heard here today. I really want it to be heard that when Jesus Christ says he came into the world to identify with what you're going through, that means he feels what you're going through with you. He feels, he feels it more deeply than you do. He's with you in your pain. He's with you in your suffering. He's with you in your confusion. And so we have an opportunity as a church. We know that whenever we minister to someone, whenever we serve someone, we need to remember so clearly that I'm doing that to Jesus. I'm serving Jesus right now when I serve another human being. And so now there's a second thing that shows that the wise men really put a lot of careful thought and planning into the gifts that they would bring to Jesus. Each of the gifts carried a deep symbolism that reflects the three things that Jesus is all about, what he came into the world to do. They gave him gold. Gold was a gift that was given to kings. And these wise men from Persia, they knew all about this because they were considered the king makers in their society. They were the elite group of counselors, the scientists, the men of learning. They were the circle of political advisors who actually had great influence in who would become the king of Persia. They were called the king makers. And so it's, no small, it's not a small thing that when they, they heard that the king of the ages, the king of creation, was about to be born, that they wanted to come and worship him. The second gift shows that they saw something else about Jesus. They gave him frankincense. Frankincense is a fragrant, sort of a gelatin-like resin, gum-like resin that's used by priests, that used to be used by priests, to burn incense. And incense was a symbol of priests praying to God for the needs of other people. Jesus is the priest. That's what their gift represented. They saw him as the priest who had come into the world to identify with the needs of all people and lift them up to God, redeem their lives. And then the third gift is myrrh. Myrrh was oil used for anointing the dead. And that gift represented Jesus as the one who came into this world. When they gave him that gift, they were, they were looking forward to the day when Jesus was going to die for this, our sins so that we could forgive, receive forgiveness and salvation. So when the wise men intentionally gave their offerings to Jesus, they were representing, those three gifts represented the whole mission and message of Jesus in the world. Now you and I today, when we give gifts, we're not giving gold, we're not giving incense, we're not giving myrrh probably, but nevertheless, when we give in Jesus' name, we, wrapped up in that giving is the mission of Jesus Christ, is the, is the reason why he came into our world. We're honoring Jesus as the king, the savior. We're honoring him as the priest who identifies with every human being. We're honoring him as the one who died and rose again as our savior. And so what I want to do in the closing moments of this message is I want to share with you 
the wonderful opportunity we have as a church family to follow the example of the wise men over these next few Sundays of the Advent season. We have a chance to make a real difference by the giving of our gifts uh, as a reflection of Christ's love. So the first one I wanna mention is this. If you'll take the card that's on the seat where you're sitting, and you'll look on one side that says Hope and Friendship Foundation. Look on the one side that says that. This is our opportunity as a church to give outside the walls of our church into our community. So what you'll see on this card is a shopping list of personal household items that have been put together by Hope and Friendship Foundation, which is in touch with over 70 families from our own area that are facing extremely difficult times. We can go shopping for them as a church family. We can go to Jewel, we can go to Walmart, we can, we can take the shopping cart and we can go shopping on behalf of 70 families that live close by. And we can supply them with personal items, we can supply them with household cleaning items. And then on the 23rd of December, there's gonna be uh, a opportunity to, for those that can, can volunteer the time to come together and pack these into care packages that are going to then be delivered as a Christmas gift to, to these 70 families. And I believe what that's all it comes down to, it's a way to demonstrate to our community that our faith is not just a bunch of words. It's, it's genuine. The love we talk about is a genuine thing. Now, the second, the second way we can reach out and, and help uh, turn the card over to the other side. We have two stories right there. Let me talk first of all about um, Justin Rogers. Uh, Just, Justin is 30 years old, and he grew up right here at Calvary Church. He was, came to Christ at Calvary Church as a boy when he was nine years old. He was baptized when he was a boy, nine years old. His mom, Mary Ann, is here somewhere. <laughs> I saw her. There she is, right? Mary Ann's very much a part of Calvary Church family. Uh, there should be a picture of Justin there on his motorcycle, okay. Uh, he had an accident. He was hit on his motorcycle last April, April 7th to be exact. And uh, he was life flighted from uh, Joliet to Loyola Medical Center. I got a phone call, I forget what time it was exactly that night, 10 o'clock or so, and I zipped over to Loyola and I Spent the whole night with Mary Ann in the ER, and I was there when Mary Ann asked the attending doctor, uh, is my son going to survive? And the doctor was honest with her and said, I, I can't tell you right now whether he's going to make it. Because he had bleeding and it wouldn't stop. They could not get the bleeding stopped, and there's a lot more to the story. That'll be shared later. Uh, next week, uh, in a couple weeks, but it was a very, it was a scary night. Um, he had several, he's had, he did survive, and uh, he had several surgeries. He's got more surgeries that are coming. Uh, I had a chance, to, it should be a picture, yeah, there he is right there. Uh, some pictures of Justin during this long ordeal of surgeries. 
I visited Justin uh, a week ago. He's now up and able to walk, but he's still facing a lot more surgery. Uh, the cost for all the treatment that he's received so far has come up to about $2 million. Uh, it, he has insurance that's covering good portions of that, but it doesn't cover all of that. There are some out-of-pocket things that happen here uh, and that, they're, that are facing him and Marianne. And uh, a week, uh, two, weeks, or, uh, two weeks from today, Justin will be here and on that day, Mary Ann, his mom, will share with us a little bit more of the story. But I just wanted to sort of give you an introduction to, to, what, to one avenue of serving and caring that we can express here uh, that can make a big difference this year. Now, the second story, <clears throat> uh, Dan and Lisa Dewar's nephew, Nick Younglove, he's 27 years old. Should be a couple pics of, there's Nick. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote from an article that has been written about Nick. Uh, Talented graphic designer, enthusiastic youth group leader, avid cyclist, disciplined athlete, ambitious graduate student, eternal optimist, now newly paralyzed. Nick Younglove was just hitting his stride when a tragic injury paralyzing him from the chest down turned his life upside down and now threatened not only to take away those things he loved, but his ability to take care of himself. And there should be some pics of Nick. Uh, that's, there should be some pictures of Nick. I think that's Justin, <laughs> I believe. Or is that Nick? That's Nick. Okay, that is Nick. Okay, good. Uh, but they were on a family reunion in Michigan, July 18th, 2017, just four months ago. And... Uh, Nick dove in when he was sort of, uh, you know, just having some fun with some of the cousins there. He dove into a shallow area, and, uh, and that's, you know, the accident took place and the paralysis now. Um, he's in a wheelchair right now. Um, I visited with Nick just a little over a week ago, <clears throat> and I will have to tell you this, that um, I was deeply moved when I visited with Nick. Um, I was moved by his courage. I was moved by his faith. I'm sure that there's got to be some really tough days that Nick has faced, and I shared that with him. There's got to be some really tough days that you, you've gone through here. But, I, but I, I saw in the middle of all that, I saw courage and I saw faith in Nick. And I think everyone who knows him is seeing that same thing. Well, he needs further treatments and his family's insurance, again, is just not enough to cover all of those treatments. There's also some needs for technical, technical equipment that will help him with some voice-activated computer technology, things like that, to continue his work, his studies. Uh, next Sunday morning, Nick asked, he requested that he be able to come, and we'll have a little interview with Nick here next Sunday morning where he personally can share with you a little bit more about his story. But as a church family, um, and I wanted to mention this too, that we have some, some uh, folks in our church that have already begun to reach out to Nick, uh, building a ramp at their house, doing some uh, construction work inside the house to accommodate his, you know, his new physical conditions. So I'm grateful for that. <clears throat> so we've already become part 
of the stories of both Justin and Nick by praying for them, sending words of encouragement, getting involved. Now we have a chance to enter into their stories at an even deeper level during these next four weeks of Advent. And we're setting a goal as a church family based upon the way this church family has so generously given over the previous years. We're setting a goal of $12,000 to be raised, to be given as we pool our resources and then divided and, and given to Justin and to Nick. And if we, can ex- if we exceed that goal of $12,000, praise God for that. Uh, so, as we begin this Advent Conspiracy Strategy, we're going to go shopping for our community, and we're going to pool our resources to serve Justin and Nick. And what we're doing, this is church-wide, so we're asking married couples to get together. We're asking parents to get together with their kids. We're asking... Um, Friend, uh, if you're a single adult, getting together with maybe a circle of friends and saying, how can we, what can we do? Let's pray about this. What What can we intentionally set apart? How can we spend a little bit less so we can give a lot more and meet some of these needs in a significant, significant way? You can give on site during Advent Conspiracy in the offerings. You can just use the church envelope. Just designate any offering you give. Designate it Advent Conspiracy. It'll go toward these needs. Uh, You can also give online by going to the website. There's a place there where you can give to Advent Conspiracy, and and their funds will get there. Um, Now, so wrapping it all up here this morning, we realize that the greatest gift that has ever been given uh, to any of us is Jesus Christ who came into the world to give us the gift of hope, a way of forgiveness before God, healing from the wounds and sorrows that come from living in a very broken world. And many here, I pray most, have experienced that, have received Christ, know him. If you're here today, and you've never personally invited Jesus Christ to be your Savior, never received him into your life, placed your faith in him, you can do that this morning right where you are seated. It's it's the most important gift you'll ever receive. And Christ is here to be that gift for you if you'll just reach out and, and receive him into your life. Pray that you'll do that if you never have. You can do it where you're seated, as I said. And for us as a church, we have the opportunity to demonstrate that love, to spread it out by our giving. So let's just ask God. uh, I'm going to pray right now and ask God to guide us in in our giving and in our worship of him this season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to do exactly what the wise men did. We want to worship in a giving way. We understand worship and giving go together. Lord, uh, we ask that at the beginning of this uh, journey toward Christmas and the celebration of Jesus' birth into the world, that we will live out the meaning of who Jesus Christ is in the ways that you've provided for us. Lord, bless every family. Bless us, Lord, in the, in the Christmas traditions of every family, but in the middle of it all, bless us and use us as a church family in this Advent conspiracy way to, to make a big difference in people's lives. And Father, we dedicate ourselves to you and thank you for this opportunity. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.